Hello, and welcome to the Being Well podcast. My name's Forrest Hansen. Today, we're going to finish our focus on the strength of gratitude by taking a look at being happy for others, how we can use authentic experiences of altruistic joy for others as a way to become happier and more resilient ourselves. So joining me to feel a little bit of altruistic joy is Dr. Rick Hansen. <laughs> in the book Resilient, in the section on being happy for others, you referred to it as the happiness which is always available. Yeah. So why is that? It's the idea that if you're happy that others are doing well, mm-hmm. as the Dalai Lama put it, you can always be happy mm-hmm. since always somebody is doing well. Yeah. It could be someone you know, it could be someone you don't know, it could be someone you simply imagine. But if you can find a fundamental kind of sympathetic joy or altruistic joy, it's called, at how others are doing, that's a wonderful opportunity to feel good, have positive emotions, and even be grateful. Grateful for the good fortune that has led others to do well, and grateful for the fact that you can be happy at any time by being glad about uh, what's happening for other people. So it's sort of purely altruistic reasons. You know, it's Mm -hmm. good to feel good for others. What are some of the benefits of feeling happy for other people psychologically? Yeah. When we're glad for others, first of all, we're experiencing positive emotion. Mm -hmm. And as we've talked about here, and uh, Barbara Fredrickson and others have researched, positive emotions in general confer many benefits. They Mm -hmm. strengthen the immune system. They protect the cardiovascular system against stress. They lower the wear and tear of ongoing stress upon us. And positive emotions also tend to knit us together with other people. So just that alone uh, is a benefit of altruistic joy. Second, altruistic joy is particularly powerful in terms of helping to knit together relationships. Mm. Because flip it around, if you're talking with someone and they start celebrating Mm -hmm. your promotion or the fact that you finally finished a project or that a health scare turned out to be nothing, and they're glad for you, or they're glad for your child. When people are like that with you, how do you feel about them? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's very touching. It draws us closer together. I think about people that I've been at odds with in my own life uh, or wondered about, where how do I stand with that person? Mm -hmm. And then when I um, kind of recreate many movies, I I replay movies of uh, being with them, at different times when they would surprise me, by expressing a gladness for how things were turning out for me, mm-hmm. whew, that repaired a lot of crud. Yeah, for sure. And really helped me feel, all right, great, I'm, we're back on an even footing. Flip it around, those are some of the benefits you gain yourself when you offer socially, interpersonally, when you offer altruistic joy to other people. And then the third major benefit I figure we'll talk about is it's a great antidote to envy. Mm -hmm. There you are thinking, I wish I had that, I wish I had that. And if you can be happy that they have it, besides whatever is moral or benevolent about that, you get less upset when Mm -hmm. you're happy that they have it. It's sort of one thing to be happy for your dog or to be happy for your best friend or to be Mm. happy for your parents. Yeah. And it's another thing to be happy for people who are a little bit trickier. As you were talking about, people who you've had a problematic relationship in the past. Yeah. Or people who are just kind of a pain in the butt in various ways, whatever it might be. So what are some suggestions that you would give somebody who is having a hard time being happy for some of the people in their lives? Great question. First, you don't have to use those people right off the top. Second, it's critically important always in everything we're talking about, uh, when you're being deliberately nimble or uh, resourceful with your own mind, 
it's always important to be careful about faking it till you make it. Mm -hmm. And there's a pitfall in being able to make wise efforts inside your mind that you start moving into something that's excessively manipulative or false or phony, inauthentic uh, with your own mind. And so everything we talk about is really about doing what's useful inside your mind to, um, to have experiences that feel genuine. Next point about people who are difficult, we can be glad about something good for them, like maybe glad that their child graduated high school or mm-hmm. got an award or won a swimming contest, while simultaneously differentiated from that gladness, have disapproval, perhaps scathing moral mm-hmm. disapproval for some of the crimes that we think that person has committed or the injustices that that person has has fueled. Mm-hmm. And it goes to a point that we make again and again, which is that we can separate or distinguish among things and also acknowledge X in addition to Y. Mm-hmm. That's really important. So that, and then last thing I would just add is that uh, envy about others who have a lot, especially the lot that we don't have, mm-hmm. it's useful to appreciate that they suffer too. I don't, even if they don't look like it, they suffer too. They worry, their back hurts, they're aging, their stomach is upset, things don't go perfectly well in their family, they suffer too. And based on that, it makes it easier in a funny way to wish them well. Yeah, that's totally fair. We don't have to use a problematic person as an example in this case. But I think that what you were saying previously about that relationship mending that can happen even inside just your own mind when you feel authentically happy for somebody mm. and how in the times in your past when you had sort of a tricky relationship mm. with somebody and they really authentically expressed support and mm. happiness for something you achieved, it really felt like a form of mending. Mm. So I think that it is you know, useful to look for ways to authentically support the problematic people in your life mm. if you have an interest in repairing your relationship with them. Yeah. If, if you don't, then of course don't. But if you do, it can be a very useful tool. Yeah. I'm just kind of doing a little thought experiment here mm-hmm. in which I'm imagining someone say that I'm angry at or mm-hmm. I uh, disapprove of politically. And that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then I imagine that person, a father, at the wedding of his daughter, mm-hmm. and how happy he is in a kind of wholesome way for his daughter, and how what a nice moment that is yeah. for everyone. I notice that when I start thinking about that, I get less mad. It's very I, humanizing. Yeah, mm-hmm. it doesn't. I get less upset. It doesn't. That doesn't take away from what I'm going to do morally or politically, or send money here or, sure. or vote there. But I don't need to be upset about it mm-hmm. in the same way. And people listening can even do these funny little thought experiments. Think about people that you're troubled by these days or in a conflict with. If you can find your way to, and then think about them doing something that's kind of simple and wholesome, and you can be glad about them, glad for them, notice what it does to your upset. Mm. It's a wonderful way to dial down, turn down the knob, on the inner upset-o-meter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just as happiness for others is good for kind of dialing down that feeling of upset, you were mentioning earlier about how it's good for dialing down feelings of envy yeah. for other people. As we sort of remarked upon in a previous episode, it's a very natural instinct 
to put ourselves in comparison to other people. And it even sort of originates from very, very early human history. Yeah. I think that envy or its close cousin, jealousy, Mm -hmm. are really underrated sources of suffering for people. Mm. And uh, just admitting something for myself, I've never told you this, Forrest. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was in this big workshop one time, and in the workshop, there was this guided practice people were going to do, kind of like guided meditation. And it was about jealousy and envy. Mm. And I thought to myself going into it, man, this is going to be a waste of my time. Uh, I don't have anything going on there. And the person started talking, including, recall a time you were once jealous of another person. (sighs) Knocked me right out. I fell asleep. And it wasn't because I was sleepy. I just went totally unconscious because that material was overwhelming for me. And Mm -hmm. I dissociated. And Mm -hmm. a major way to kind of dissociate from painful material is to get very sleepy. Hmm. And be unable to sort of stay focused That's on really it. That's really interesting. Yeah. And then when the person finished the practice, guided meditation, and said, now come back to the room, you know, rub your hands on your thighs, bingo, I was wide awake again. Hmm. And it was a humbling and very pointed uh, flashing light that told me, whoa, Rick, you've got some material here to work hmm. on. And it's helpful to appreciate, as you were getting at Forrest, that envy is natural mm-hmm. because social comparison is natural. Uh, as we've talked about and wrote about in the book, humans evolved almost um, entirely throughout our entire evolutionary history, including our hominid ancestors. Our ancestors lived in small hunter-gatherer bands with roughly 40 to 50 people, which meant roughly 30 adults or so with a bunch of kids kind of running around the edges. And in those small bands, you needed to know where you stood in mm. comparison to other people. And you needed to get good at reading where you stood. Am I better than, less than, or as good as? So it's really natural to compare ourselves to others and have um, emotions such as pride or even less wholesome emotions like arrogance or Mm. superiority Mm -hmm. or uh, grandiosity, feelings of that sort in comparison to others when we're up while also feeling envious, jealous, or inadequate or ashamed when we're down. Mm. So these feelings are natural. Just because they're natural doesn't mean they're not painful. But they're natural, and I think it's useful to appreciate, okay, envy is natural. Comparison is natural. Wanting what they have is natural. And I'm not a bad person because these feelings arise in me. I don't need to hide them. I don't need to suffer that I suffer by Mm -hmm. adding the topspin override suffering of lambasting myself, getting mad at myself, because yet again, I'm envious. Mm -hmm. That said, fantastic way to undo envy is altruistic joy. And it's made me think about, Forrest, how most of the research on social, the social brain theory focuses on compassion for pain, mm-hmm. grounded initially in the parent-child bond, especially initially the mother-child bond. And I'm speaking here of pre-human hominids in particular, and then before that even, their primate ancestors. So uh, we focus a lot on compassion for others who are down But it's actually also the case, I think, plausibly, that evolving ways to feel good about or glad about or celebratory toward others when they're feeling happy would be another way to knit the the band together. Mm -hmm. Uh, Who knows? Uh, Maybe altruistic joy played as big a role in preserving band cohesion over the two, three, four million year history, really, of human evolution and our close hominid and primate ancestors. Maybe maybe altruistic joy, happiness for other people, mm-hmm. delighting in the, in their successes, 
knitted people together just as much as compassion did. I think that's pretty interesting to contemplate. So, so far, we've established that feeling happy for others is a good thing. It can help us internalize some mental resources. Additionally, it's a great source of just everyday happiness. And finally, it can kind of pull us out of those experiences of disappointment and envy. So how can somebody kind of get better at feeling happy for others? You named earlier one thing, which was to notice Mm -hmm. the many opportunities, the many different kinds of things we can feel happy for. Are there other things that you would sort of recommend to people? I think one of the most powerful things to do when you're with another person mm-hmm. is to let them land in you. Hmm. And if you observe your own mind, uh, when you encounter uh, someone new, or what I mean by that is even if you know the person, uh, suddenly they're there in front of you, or you see their face across a room. Mm-hmm. If you watch your mind, I think what you'll tend to see, and what is the case most of the time, as the clock starts ticking, second by second by second, in the first second or two or three, there's a kind of conceptual recognition that, oh, I know this person, or that person is a this kind of a person, tall or short, man or woman, old or young, whatever it might be. And then on the heels of that, right around the third second or fourth or fifth, we start to naturally have a feeling, get a feeling about that person, or more my focus here, a sense of that other person. Mm. And you can watch that again and again and again. It's very interesting to slow it down and not race on so quickly, but to let the seconds tick by. So around the third or fifth second, you're actually getting a sense of that person and they can sense that you are getting a sense of them. To go to Dan Siegel's wonderful phrase, feeling felt. Mm. We all want to feel felt. It's scary not to feel felt. It's dangerous in a group, including a hunter-gatherer band, to be around people who don't feel you or don't want to feel you. So when we give another person the gift of enabling them authentically to feel felt by us, that's a real contribution to other people. And one of the things that I think is a great pathway into altruistic joy is when you're giving yourself that extra five seconds with that person, a natural happiness for what is good in their life can come forward. It's not like you have to force it or reach for it always. I think a natural happiness starts coming forward. Mm. It can come forward alongside compassion for the ways that they're still struggling with some illness or they don't have everything that they want in their life. Maybe they don't have true love or a great career. And simultaneously, you can be glad for them that their dog's okay, the vet said it's not a big deal, or uh, some nice event did occur, or they're just taking pleasure in the moment, in looking around and feeling the fresh air and the flowers around them, even in a busy city street. So that's, that's a practice that I would really recommend to people. Slow it down, let yourself really feel the other person, and then allow a natural gladness about how things are are indeed going well for the other person to arise in you. I'm describing a practice that's now 10 to 15 seconds long. It's not an enormous amount of time, but tuning into that again and again and again is wonderful. Finishing, I had a teacher who talked about approaching others with a blessing disposition. Mm -hmm. And that's a funny phrase, but it really has something to it. And 
more and more, uh, I can say for myself, that's been a, a growing itch for me to abide increasingly in that stance of a blessing disposition mm-hmm. toward others, while also, of course, setting boundaries and taking care of my own needs. And um, I think for other people, I've watched that if they can move more into that blessing disposition themselves, that kind of preparatory mm-hmm. and altruistic joy, you know, leaning toward the possibility of altruistic joy, it makes them happier to do so. So in the process of doing that, in the process of doing those various good practices, or just for somebody who, like you said yourself, you know, you start to hear about envy, or you start to hear about feeling uncomfortable towards another person, and they just push it away. Yeah. Whether it's through actually literally conking out, yeah. or it's through just some other kind of disassociation with the experience so that they don't have to really feel it. You know, a block comes up of mm. some kind is what you're describing. Yeah. When that block arises, mm. is there a particularly good way to work with it, a particularly productive way to hold it in your mind to get more comfortable touching that experience or working through it? Yeah. So you're talking about blocks to mm. altruistic joy, being happy for the happiness of others. Yeah, right? or blocks or that. blocks for engaging this material in different kinds of ways. We've named a number of different ways to sort of use altruistic mm. joy or use the feeling of being happy for others here so far. So in the course of using it, sometimes you don't want to use it that mm. way, or you think the whole thing is silly, or yeah. you just have such a difficult relationship with a thing that you can't feel any sort of altruistic happiness mm. for that thing. Mm. Um, when those things kind of naturally arise, yeah. how can we get better at working with those feelings? I think that's a deceptively simple question. <laughs> uh, or uh, maybe deceptively, I don't know, trivial, but it's not. Sure. It's mm-hmm. not. First, as a general principle in growth, mm-hmm. it really helps and works to go after the low-hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. Go after what's easy. Help yourself know what it's like by focusing on something that's easy and then build out from there. For example, uh, if you're trying to explore happiness for the welfare of others, start with someone that's really easy to be glad about. Mm-hmm. Maybe someone who's really treated you well and you, you feel very grateful to them. Or maybe someone that you love dearly, a child, a pet, a good friend. Start there. And then knowing what that what altruistic joy feels like in your body, the somatic markers of it, the attitude, the uh, leaning, um, then you can generalize from there. A second thing that is a really useful method is to have kind of a talk with yourself to identify what's actually in your best interest Mm. and to know what's in your best interest in a pretty soulful way, grounded deep inside yourself, clear-eyed, noble, what's good for me and what's good for me. For example, is it good for me to carry envy, resentment, and jealousy. No, it's not good. So when you realize, wait a second here, this thing I've been doing with my mind that has had some short-term gratifications in it is actually really bad for me. And I don't want to dwell there. I don't want to dwell, let's say a person says to themselves, in um, envy or resentment or jealousy. I just don't want to dwell there. That moment of truth is uh, there's no substitute for it. And uh, it gets at a fundamental 
uh, existential, old school kind of matters where you just got to decide deep down in your core what's important to you and what's not. So I think that's a second thing that can make a big difference. And it's applied to, and this thing, these things we're talking about, go after the low-hanging fruit and also make a fundamental moral decision inside yourself, in your core, what you really value. That's very powerful. And then there's a third general principle of growth, I think baked into your question. And it's the capacity to live among others while also knowing that your life is your own. Mm -hmm. And we're going to explore this more in the intimacy strength that we'll get to, including the, the balance of me and we. But with regard to envy, or with regard to crowing or superiority in a problematic sense, if you realize that your life is not about really the life of other people, it's your own life, mm-hmm. and their life's not about you. We're alongside each other, and yes, we uh, affect each other, but it's a bit like two waves moving through the ocean. Each wave is a local expression of the ocean as a whole, and the two waves may interact, and yet they're meaningfully distinct. And I think people tend to be overly invested in. Uh, in the language of Freud, they're overly cathected with, mm. in, in an energetic sense. They're preoccupied with, they're bound up with, or as the Buddha talked about, they're entangled with other people excessively in a burdensome way. And they're, they're too caught up in what others think of them. They're too caught up in comparison to others, as natural as that may be. And so there's a third great thing here where you just realize more and more, you know, you guys are over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm over here. I got to clean up my side of the street. And meanwhile, I know that we're related to each other, and I really wish you well. That said, I'm waving at you over there, and what's going on with you on the other side of the street is mostly not related to me, and what's going on on my side of the street is mostly not related to you. So I'm going to really focus here on my side of the street, celebrate what's good about it, go to work on what's not so good about it, and make my side of the street my primary focus. I think that's a great note to end on. So to give a little recap of some of the things that we talked about today, today's episode was focused on the experience of being happy for others, which you also described as altruistic joy. We began by talking about how it's a great source of positive resources and positive experiences, because even when our own life has got some warts in it, there's always somebody somewhere who's having a happy experience that it's possible for us to be happy for. We took a little detour down the evolutionary lane, if you will, and you talked a little bit about how we normally point to feelings of compassion as something that brings us closer together, which is, but just as much we can bring that same level of attention as we do to compassion to altruistic joy or feelings of feeling good for somebody when they're having a positive experience. We talked about doing this for easy people, but also for doing this for difficult people, people that you have a trickier relationship with or maybe have a harder time feeling that authentic experience of happiness for. Naturally, as that happens, some blocks might come up, certain people are difficult to work with, you yourself might have a tricky relationship with feelings of authentic happiness for other people, and you gave a couple of great ways that you can work through those blocks as they arise. Then finally, we spent a little bit of time talking about how authentic happiness for others is a wonderful antidote experience to feelings of disappointment and envy that you know we all have. And as you mentioned, 
are maybe a little bit underrated as a source of real suffering in people's lives. So today's episode completes our focus on the strength of gratitude. And in our next episode, we're going to begin a new focus on the strength of confidence. And we're going to begin that episode with a little bit of conversation about the social brain, and then moving into a big conversation probably on the idea of secure versus insecure attachment which is a major concept, and we will try to treat it as briskly as we can. Until then, thank you so much for listening.